Compassion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. Children. We have a lot of things to think about with children. You see them in the foyer. They're always running around with a smile on their face, having a good time. My favorite is when uh, new children come to Crosswinds and they see the cookie bar. Because you know what happens. They think they have just won the lottery. I like to watch when all of a sudden they start taking one cookie and another cookie and they stuff their pockets full of cookies as they get ready to go to their university class after that. But even better than watching the children stuff their pockets full of cookies is seeing the mom when they catch the child stuffing their pockets full of cookies. Children are, are pretty neat. When they're young, they keep you up late at night with feedings and diaper changings. And when they get older, they take not just your time, but they take a lot of money, don't they? And a lot of, you have to pay for things, and you end up having to go to sport events, all good stuff. But children take a lot of time, money, and energy. And the question before us is, what does Jesus think about children? This morning, we're going to find out. We are continuing in our study this morning in the Gospel of Mark, and Jesus is getting closer and closer to Jerusalem, where he will be crucified, he will die in our place for our sin, and Jesus will rise from the grave to new life and guarantee us new life through our faith in him. We're almost in the the final week of Jesus' life. In the Gospel of Mark, the final week of Jesus' life begins in Mark chapter 11, and we are partway through Mark chapter 10 today. We were just recently in Mark chapter 9, and we saw in Mark chapter 9 that Jesus was in Capernaum. Jeremy, could you put that, uh, go ahead and put that up there? Yeah, he was up there in the north in Capernaum, but we saw last week that as soon as you turn to Mark chapter 10, one chapter away, Jesus is actually down in the area of Perea in the lower right-hand corner. And Mark really just touches on this with just a word, but uh, what we have between Mark chapter 9, the ending of it, and the beginning of Mark chapter 10 is a large geographical and chronological jump. Because when Jesus was in Mark chapter 9 in Capernaum, he was about six months before his crucifixion. And what Mark doesn't tell us, except for just a a little bit of data, is that Jesus actually comes down to the left and has a ministry in Judea for a while and then goes to Perea on the right-hand side where Mark chapter 10 picks up. Now, Matthew and Mark of the two Gospels do not tell us about this ministry in Judea. Uh, Luke and John do tell us about this ministry in Judea, and he jumps down there. So we've seen a chronological and geographical jump. And in Mark chapter 9, we're six months away from the crucifixion. Here we are only weeks away from the crucifixion. Last week in Mark chapter 10, we saw that Jesus was in Perea, and he began teaching, and he gathered a crowd. And some Pharisees gathered around him in the crowd, and they asked him what sounded like an innocent question, but it was actually a loaded question. The question was, is it right for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? 
And that launched us into a discussion last week on what does the Bible say about divorce. And we're not going to spend any time on that this morning, but I would encourage you, if you missed that message, to go to our website, crosswinds.tv, and learn what the Bible says about divorce. Because that is something that so many of us are touched, either in our immediate family or our extended family, and we want to be able to understand what the Bible says in that subject. Now today, what we find is Jesus talking about children. This is a very small section of the Gospel of Mark. As I prepared for this message, just to let you know, I found that actually most preachers skip this particular section because it is so incredibly small. But as I thought about it, I did not want to skip it. I wanted to give an entire week to this very small section. And the reason is, you need to understand that all three synoptic gospel writers include it. It's in Matthew, it's in Mark, it's in Luke. And I figured if every single synoptic gospel writer felt that this little section on Jesus and the children was so important to include, we dare not skip it. We should spend our time with our finger in the text learning what it says. So the text we're studying is Mark chapter 10, verses 13 through 16. I'd like to ask you to turn in your copy of God's Word to that text. Stand as I read it to you. um, I don't care if you're using an electronic copy or if you're using a paper copy. It doesn't matter to me. Beginning in verse 13. And they were bringing children to him, that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant, and he said to them, Let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. That ends the reading of the Word of God. You may be seated. We're going to study this little section under three headings. First, we're going to look at the the background we need to understand about children in this culture. And then we're going to see very clearly that Jesus loves children. And then lastly, we'll see that there is no way to enter the kingdom of God unless we approach it like a child. So very simple outline. So starting in your, uh, in your handouts, let's look at the background. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. In the ancient world, there is none of the, modern, uh, none of the sentimentality that we have in the modern world towards children. There was no such thing as Disneyland in the ancient world. There was no summer camp. There was no high school sports programs. There were no club programs per se. Children were considered useful at best. They were tolerated at worst. Remember, in the ancient world, you didn't have birth control. So a lot of children were born. But you also need to know that many of those children died. You didn't have prenatal care. You didn't have pediatric care. Many children died, and they often died in the age of being an infant. 
In the ancient world, the high mortality rate of children was actually sort of considered an okay thing for many people. Not that they liked the fact that children died, of course not. But lots of children meant lots of mouths to feed. And that was always a struggle for many people in the ancient world. And even if children didn't die, they were often disposed of because people were sort of anti-large families just to keep the number of children and mouths to feed down. What oftentimes would happen is if children were born, if they weren't wanted, they were brought into the woods where they were left to die of exposure. That's a very common practice in the ancient world or the time of Jesus at this time. Many of us don't realize that. To give you some examples of that, in the research I was doing this week, I ran across the fact that from the year 230 B.C. onwards, uh, in Greek families, they sought to be a one-child family. Now remember, there is no birth control at that time. So what is happening to those children that are being born? Many times they are being discarded. They are being left out in the woods to die of exposure. This is a very common thing in the ancient world. To give you, an attitude, uh, give you a window into the attitude of people towards children in the ancient world, there is a letter we have historically that comes from a man named Hilarion. He was a soldier serving in the army. Hilarion, by the way, in Greek means cheerful. This guy is not cheerful in my book. He was writing to his wife, who was pregnant in the year 1 B.C., and he simply says to her, you know, if the child, when it's born, is a male, keep it. If it's a female, dispose of it. That shows you the low view of children in the ancient world. But along comes Jesus. Jesus has a very high view of children. This is completely different to the culture, a shockingly high view of children. And we're going to see that as we work our way through the text. Now let me just unpack some of the details on this text here. First of all, who were these people bringing the children to Jesus? I think my, most obviously it's the parents. I personally think it's probably mostly the moms, which is good, but it's the parents. Next question. What kind of children were they bringing to Jesus? And the answer is they were bringing little children to Jesus. The Greek word that is used to describe children here is the Greek word paideia, which is actually sort of a generic term for children. It's a very broad term. It's been used in the scriptures to describe children up to 12 years of age. But I believe what's going on here is not children that are up to 12 years of age. I believe what's going on here is they're bringing young children to Jesus. And I'll explain to you why I say that. First is in verse 16, it's described as Jesus taking the children in his arms and praying over them. Have you ever tried to take a 12-year-old in your arms? It doesn't work too well. They're a little too big. They're beyond that cuddly and snuggly stage. They're large. The other thing you need to know is I told you that this account is paralleled in Matthew and Luke. And Luke, when he parallels this account, he specifically says that the children that were being brought to Jesus included infants. It included babies. Let's go ahead and look in your, in your outline in Luke 18, verse 15. Now they were bringing even 
infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. So people are bringing their babies to Jesus. They are bringing their toddlers to Jesus. This is what is called Jesus running the church nursery. In fact, they even thought about making that the title of the sermon, but it would have worked. But that's essentially what's going on. Jesus has got the church nursery. Now, why are people bringing their babies to Jesus? He does miracles. I mean, is there some kind of miraculous diaper change out there that we don't know about that Jesus was doing? No, of course not. Let me tell you why they're bringing their children to Jesus, and some history will explain that to you. If you go back to the Old Testament, you know there are a number of illustrations of fathers praying a blessing over their children. We have in this Old Testament, we have Isaac praying a blessing over Jacob and Esau. Jacob, we saw, prayed a blessing over all 12 of his sons. Now, historically, what had happened over time is that in Judaism, parents with children had eventually begun to bring their children to the elders of the temple and ask the elders to pray a blessing over their child. I did some study on this, and historically what would happen is that uh, people would have the elders pray this blessing, and the elders would put their hands on the child's head, and they would pray the blessing, and I even found some details of what they would pray in that blessing. The blessing included that they would become faithful in the law when they grew up, that they would be faithful in marriage when they grew up, and they would have abundant good works through their lives. It's the blessing that was prayed over children by the Jewish elders. The, Bab- the Babylonian Talmud also tells us that eventually the Jews set aside a special day each year for like the mass child dedication day. It was the day before uh, Yom Kippur or the day before the Day of Atonement when parents with their young children would bring them to the the temple and the elders would put their hands on them and pray a, a blessing over them. But here it is not the day before Yom Kippur. It's not the day before the Day of Atonement. People are bringing their children, their very young children, to Jesus, asking him to pray a blessing over them. Why are they doing this? Well, I think it's simple. They recognize Jesus as a popular rabbi. They recognize Jesus as a powerful rabbi. And they would simply love Jesus to put a blessing on their children for their life and for their future. That's what it is. Now, as I told you, this is also paralleled in Matthew. In Matthew, it becomes very apparent that they're just simply asking for Jesus to put the blessing on their children and pray for them. Matthew 19, verse 13. Then the children were brought to him that he might lay his hand on them and Pray for them. And as you look at this, I I came away realizing, you know, this is very similar to what we do at Crosswinds when it comes to child dedication. Isn't that cool? Where uh, parents with a young child bring that child up and I get to hold that child. I get to put my hands on that child. I get to pray a, a blessing over that child. 
And so I think here you could even find scriptural precedents for what we do with regard to child dedication here at Crosswinds. Historically, I have found some people who try to use this passage as precedents for infant baptism. And now as I look at it, and why I respect our brothers in Christ who baptize infants, and I realize the arguments for infant baptism are much more nuanced and not just a simple thing, I still look at this and I say, this is more clearly child dedication, isn't it? Than it is infant baptism, which is what we practice here. Now, this is the way I picture this whole scene goes down. Jesus is there, and one mom with her little child gets the idea. You know, maybe Jesus will pray a blessing over my child. So she brings her child, that little child, to Jesus. Can you bless my child? And Jesus takes that child in his arms. He puts his hand on that child. He loves that child, and he prays a wonderful blessing over that child. And the mom leaves with her child, and you can imagine what happens she is just filled with pride, and she cannot wait to tell her girlfriends. And what do you think the other girlfriends with young children think at that point? Well, I am not going to let her child get blessed by Jesus, and my child's not going to get blessed. No, I'm going too. And so you can start to see as the gossip vine works here, all these mothers are starting to grab their young children and bring them to Jesus to be blessed by Jesus. The crowds are growing, the diapers are stinking. That's what's happening here. Now the disciples, they see this happening with all these children coming and they think this is completely inappropriate. Jesus is too busy for this. Jesus is too important for this. Jesus should not be mobbed by babies. So the disciples think they're going to try and protect Jesus, and they start to send the parents away. It says in the English translations that the disciples are rebuking these parents and their children for coming. The Greek word for rebuke here is a very strong word. It literally means to reprimand somebody, to correct somebody. How dare you think you bug Jesus with just blessing your little child? And the disciples are sending them away. Now the good news is, while the disciples are sending these children away, Jesus thinks very differently about this. We find that Jesus loves children. That's the next point. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant. And he said to them, let the children come to me, but do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. So Jesus realizes that children are being sent away, and it says indignant. Now, indignant in the Greek is a very strong word. In fact, this is the only time Jesus is recorded as having this emotion, this strength of emotion, is because he's so upset that the little children that he loves are being sent away. So you can see how much Jesus loves children. He loves little kids. You can say it this way, that Jesus was mad, he was hopping mad. He was fuming 
mad that the disciples were turning away children. In fact, the Gospel of Luke hints to us that Jesus actually began to call the parents and their children back to him as they were sent away from him. Luke 18, but Jesus called to him, saying, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. So here we see that Jesus loved children in a world that typically ignored children. You start to think about it. You think back on Jesus' miracles. Didn't a number of Jesus' miracles pertain to children? Well, he went out of his way to save their life. Remember the father with the, the young son who was demon-possessed, who approached Jesus on the base of the Mount of Transfiguration, and Jesus cast the demon out of the boy? Remember Jairus' daughter who was deceased? Jesus brought her back to life. A lot of miracles are Jesus loving and giving life to children. Now, look at how he loved these children. Verse 16. He took them in his arms, and he blessed them, and he laid his hands on them. This is significant. You have lots of kids coming to Jesus. Jesus does not process them in mass. He doesn't like hold his hand out and give like a global blessing on them. He takes each one of them, sits them in his lap, puts his hand on their head, and plays a blessing over each one of them individually. Do you see this? This care and this love, this personal, how Jesus is so personal with them. Jesus is not too busy for children. Jesus makes time to love children. Jesus made time to pray for children. In this society, at this time, the way Jesus is treating children and giving the time and love to children is completely and totally shocking because that's not the way they were treated. Now, let's bridge to some application for us out of this. If Jesus loved children in his world in a way that was unprecedented, doesn't that mean that as Christians, little Christs, that we should be loving children in our world in a way that is sort of unprecedented? Historically, this has been one of the calling cards of the church. Maybe you didn't realize this. The way Christians have loved children has been markedly and notably different than the world around them. We already learned that in the ancient world, uh, extra children were disposed of. They were often brought into the woods to left to die of exposure. Many of you um, may know this because you've been around for a long time and you've heard me preach about this, but some of you, this may be new. One of the great missions of the early church in the ancient world was to find these children that were being left in the woods to die of exposure, and Christians would take them, rescue them, and adopt them as their own. You could always tell what a Christian family was like because all the kids looked different, and it was a big family. 
because they were adopting so many children that were being discarded. Here was the rationale. They said, God has saved us by his grace. We want to extend grace to these children and save them too. Now today, as Jesus' people, I think we need to see the same kind of atti- we need to have the same kind of attitude that Jesus had towards children. I think we need to have the same kind of attitude that the early church had towards children. First of all, that begins at, at birth, or actually, should I say, before birth. Because in the ancient world, children were disposed of immediately after birth. Now, in the modern world, children are typically disposed of by abortion before birth. But as Christians, we should have a notably different attitude about that. Each child, even a child in the womb, is loved by Jesus. It's cared for by Jesus, and we value the rights of the unborn. We should be notably different in that area as Christians. Not only that, but after children are born, you realize that in, uh, in our society, there are many people that need to be adopted. Young children that are going through difficult times. Many young children in need of foster care. And the appropriate response is, Christians should be different. Christians should be the ones that are quick to provide foster care for children. Christians should be the ones that are openly and aggressively seeking to uh, uh, adopt children. That, I think, is completely appropriate. I always thought about this as I was preparing the message. What an incredible witness it would be if every Christian family in our church had adopted one child that they had not biologically given birth to. Imagine what an incredible witness that would be to God's grace in our lives, in extending God's grace to the life of somebody else. A child that was unwanted, a child that was in the foster system, a child that needed desperately a home, and they found grace through Jesus' people. Uh, I don't know where you're at in your family stage, in your family life, but maybe that's an appropriate thing to pray about. Maybe God is calling us to be foster parents. Maybe God is calling us to be adoptive parents. Another way that we can apply this is simply by getting involved in our children's ministry and in our youth ministry. Here at Crosswinds, what I always have loved about Crosswinds from the day I was introduced to this church uh, uh, over 11 years ago is the high value at Crosswinds uh, we have historically placed on children and youth. Now, I was a youth pastor for 10 years, so before, and I've always loved children, and I've loved student ministry, and I think it's so cool that here at Crosswinds, we have put a lot of time and energy into our children and into our youth. In fact, we have seven core values as a church, and the sixth core value of who we are as a church has to do with family. Let me go ahead and read that to you. We believe in the importance of a healthy biblical family and supporting parents in their responsibility for the spiritual health of their children. So we don't want to take away from parents. Parents, you are the ones who are the primary responsibility for the spiritual health of your children. You're the ones who has to read God's word to them. You're the ones that has to help them with memory verses. 
you're the ones who have to pray for them and be the heroes and the most powerful influence for them. But we want to help you in every way we can. That's why on Wednesday night, we've historically had a very large Awana program. Every Wednesday night down there, sometimes up to 100 kids will be there. And the neat part about that is the kids are having fun, they're learning their verses, but they go home and mom and dad can work on their Bible verses with them. You see, we want to help you. And then on Wednesday night, down the other end, there's a junior high and a senior high ministry. And we're so thankful for Pastor Chris Snyder and his leadership of that because we want your kids to know and love Jesus Christ and to be passionate for Jesus Christ. Jesus loved children. We love children. And then between worship services, we have a Crosswinds Kids program. We want to have your children come to know God's Word better. Jesus loved children. We love children. That's who we are at Crosswinds. Let's move on to our third point. The kingdom of God must be received like a child. Truly I say to you, Jesus said, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now this is a very powerful application for us here today. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter. What does that mean? I think this is what Jesus is keying in on. Children have complete trust and complete confidence in their parents to take care of their needs. The parent is the one who protects them from every danger. The parent is the one who provides them with every need. We are to approach Jesus in the same way. Complete trust and confidence in Him to protect us from every danger, especially the danger of sin and the just punishment we deserve for it. Jesus is also the one who provides for us and protects us for every need. As I was pondering on this, I kept thinking of a little child giving the the pick-me-up sign. You know what that is? You know how you've had a little child and they're right about here, they come up to mom, they come up to dad, and they do this. They look up to mom and dad, will you please pick me up? Now, they're not saying, mom and dad, you do part of the pickup and I'll do the rest of the pickup because I can help myself most of the way. They are saying, I completely trust you. I completely need you. Can you pick me up? And mom and dad, you have to do the whole thing. That's what they're saying. And what a perfect picture of what it means to be a Christian, isn't it? We have to approach Jesus Christ like a child. Jesus, I can't climb my way up to you, but I need you. I need you to pick me up. I need you to do the whole thing. And I have to trust you completely to do it. And when we do, he will. Now, Jesus said here that nobody can see the kingdom unless they receive it like a child. That's powerful. Nobody can receive the kingdom unless they approach it like a child. In other words, you can't depend on anything else but Jesus Christ alone. You can't look to anything else but Jesus Christ alone. In two weeks, when we get back to the Gospel of Mark's 
uh, we're going to run into the story of the rich young man. And it's very interesting because I think Mark put the story of the children who are part of the kingdom because they have just simple and complete trust and faith on one side with the story of the rich young man on the other side. But the rich young man starts to trust in a lot of other things. He starts to trust in his behavior. He felt he was so good. I keep all the Ten Commandments. He starts to trust in his riches. Oh, I'm very wealthy. And you finish that story, and the rich young man is not part of the kingdom. Right before it, you find these children who are part of the kingdom. The children only have simple faith and trust. They don't have a bunch of obedience and riches. The rich young man is trusting in something else besides simple faith and trust. He's trusting in his obedience and his riches. Look what it says as we read that story briefly. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. Those who have simple childlike faith and trust, like the children, they're the ones that are part of the kingdom. But those who have tried to mix it with other things, obedience and wealth and whatever else you may have to say, look, I'm better than others, struggle to be part of the kingdom. In fact, it's interesting because if you go to uh, the Gospel of Luke, Luke puts a very similar kind of story right next to his story of these children. It's actually the story of the Pharisees and the tax collector. And you can see one is trusting in himself and the other is simply calling out for mercy and trusting in God. And he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, O oh God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Do you see that? The simple faith, the simple trust of a child, having that same kind of simple faith and simple trust in Jesus is the way to be saved. 
trusting in ourselves and our belief and our behavior and anything that we think makes ourselves better than others exactly not the way to be saved. Let me go ahead and summarize what we've seen here in the text. Number one, we love children because Jesus loved children. In a world that ignored children or treated them like an inconvenience, Jesus loved them and blessed them. As we follow in his footsteps, we must do the same. And ask yourself, have I considered foster care or, or adoption to love children like Jesus? Or have I considered helping with Awana, youth group, or CW Kids on Sunday morning to love children like Jesus? The other thing we see is this. The kingdom of God must be received like a child. Ask yourself, do I have simple and complete trust in Jesus alone to save me from my sin? Just like a child has simple and complete trust in their parent. Or am I trusting in the good things I do and the status I have to earn favor before God? We're going to be celebrating the communion, the, the Lord's Supper here this morning. And as the elements are passed, I would like you to focus on that last question. What am I trusting in? Am I trusting in Jesus alone to save me? Do I have my hands towards Jesus in that pick-me-up sign because there's nothing I can do to get into your arms other than trust you to take me there? Or have I tried to trust in my belief and my behavior and my obedience to make me think that I'm a little better than others? The only way to be part of the kingdom is to enter it with complete and simple trust like a child. And as you are holding the elements when they're passed, ask yourself, how is my relationship with Jesus? Is it complete and simple trust alone? Let us pray. Jesus, I, I thank you for this little piece of text that tells us how you loved children so differently than the rest of the world. May we be a people who also love children so differently than the rest of the world, embracing them and loving them and caring for them. And I ask that you would help us to be a people possessed and captivated by simple, childlike trust in you and you alone to save us from our sin. We ask this in your name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com Thanks for being with us and may God continue to enrich your life.